Welcome to the Primal Pioneer, a no-nonsense podcast teaching you how to rewild your life and heal your body using nature's medicine kit. I'm your host, Heather Shepard, classical homeopath, author of The Sunlight Rx, and alternative healer. For the past decade, I've been helping people overcome acute and chronic health disorders and brain injuries using a 100% natural approach. Enjoy this episode and subscribe to this podcast to stay informed about your body, your health, and how to lead the healthiest life possible, even amidst our crazy modern world. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Um, Let's see. Well, I guess I'll start off with if you ever want to see the the video of the podcasts that I attempt to put them on YouTube. I can't say that they're all going to stay up on YouTube because they often censor my stuff over time, but you're welcome to um, watch the live video of the podcasts over on my YouTube uh, channel as well. And um, yeah, I wanted to mention that just to, I know a lot of people prefer video. So there is that option. Today, I'm gonna talk more about dairy. Um, Last week, I sent out a newsletter all about cultured dairy, the health benefits of dairy. I gave my my raw milk cream cheese recipe. I posted it uh, on the newsletter. And for those of you who are interested in that, you can get it on my site at heathershepherd.com and go to the blog. And it's the most recent blog post um, that teaches you how to make raw milk cream cheese. Um, but <clears throat> that newsletter seemed to stir the pot a little bit with regard to dairy as a nutritious food, um, how to consume dairy in the most optimal ways, Um, I got questions like, should humans even be eating this food because cow milk is produced for for their young, for their calf, right? You know, and so is it a good idea for um, humans to consume this product, right? So um, I'm going to touch upon this today. And I'm also going to talk about uh, the health benefits of dairy. I'm going to talk about the pasteurization and homogenization of milk. And, you know, we all are, are familiar with that, but th- there's some really interesting stories behind that. And however, if that's the only milk available to you, if you don't have a good local source of, of raw milk, or if you cannot get milk from Miller's Farm, which is an Amish farm in Pennsylvania, that actually ships to anywhere in the United States and you can order raw milk and raw milk products from them, call them to place your order. Um, The government often hassles them because they're uh, creating a very wholesome product that is, um, how should we say, it threatens the commercial dairy industry. I mean, honestly, it's, you know what it is, but so, they, they often get, get threatened and hassled by the federal government. However, you can call them and place your order um, if real milk, meaning grass-fed raw milk, isn't available in your area. Um, but I'm also going to talk about, um, yeah, what to do if you don't have that, that raw milk source, if you don't order from Miller's Farm, et cetera. And 
um, I also learned something last week when I sent out my newsletter from a woman on my mailing list who replied, uh, sharing something that I had no idea about, which absolutely blows my mind. It's totally insane. And that is people living in South Carolina. Um, if they're going to purchase raw milk, it is, uh, the raw milk has to be, uh, the cows have to be fed GMO feed in order to, <laughs> in order to sell raw milk. So the cow, you can say you sell raw milk if you feed your cow GMO feed. Totally fucking insane. What is wrong with the world? So, you know, um, you know, and I'm not even sure, is this the only state that has this law? Um, you know, because the, the sale of raw, raw milk is, the regulations are uh, created on a, a state level. So it differs state by state. Um, each state has their own set of rules and regulations around this. And there shouldn't even be rules and regulations around this other than keep your milk, keep your cow clean and feed it, you know, a good diet. Right. But no. So it, you know, it, it's absolutely imbalanced. How about having some rules and regulations around things that really matter, like limiting how many prescription medications somebody can be on or how's about having a cap or some rules or regulations around you know, that prescription meds. No, absolutely not. Or, or around GMOs or having some rules and regulations around the use of cannabis, right? That people just, you know, think is amazing that they made it legal. Why do you think they made it legal? Because you're easier to control because it makes you sick because then you get to enter their system. But raw milk, man, let's, let's raid the farms to keep people safe. Oh my gosh. You know, this whole podcast, I'm going to be dissolving myths and, and sharing some truths about dairy and the dairy industry and so forth. Because for one, I want you to be able to make more informed, more educated uh, decisions when it comes to making your food choices, when it comes to making your, your dairy choices. And a lot of these truths you really have to dig for. You have to know where to look to get the information. And so I want to help you with this. I want to help bring some clarity here so you can make the best decisions for you and your family with regard to consuming dairy. And for anybody who I'm a big, I'm a big fan of raw milk, <laughs> not from GMO fed cows, but from, from cows raised on grass outside in nature, fed their natural diet. <clears throat> but here's the deal. If you're concerned with what about bacterial contamination in raw milk, right? Because this story has been jammed down our throats for a very long time. And um, now it's, it, it, this is the emotion, the questions that it elicits. But I wanna, I wanna give some perspective here. Did you know that most, in most years, the number of disease outbreaks reported in milk and milk products do not come mostly from raw milk, but in the dairy industry, they come from ice cream and fresh cheese. When you make hard cheeses, cultured dairy products like yogurt, like kefir, clabbering, et cetera, 
the beneficial bacteria crowd out the pathogenic bacteria. And this is a foolproof way for anybody who is concerned with raw milk consumption. This is a foolproof way to eat dairy without being concerned. If somebody really has OCD about the bacterial contamination, which is low, <clears throat> eat those dairy products because the beneficial microbes wipe out any pathogens that may be there. Maybe there was some sort of E. coli, which only gets in milk if the udders are not cleaned properly. And then a piece of the manure ends up in the milk bucket. That's how you get raw milk contamination. If you're not an idiot and you know how to clean the udders of your cow, you take the time to do so. This is virtually no problem at all. Okay. So for one, ice cream and fresh cheese are the biggest source of, you know, foodborne illness outbreaks in, in the dairy industry. But in most years, reported outbreaks um, due to dairy products and dairy consumption are in the single digits, the single numbers. While cases attributed to chicken, foodborne illness from chicken, number in the thousands, but nobody says anything about chicken. Right? They just all oh, make sure you cook it well. That we have to really have some perspective here. Now, we've just been brainwashed to think that cow milk is dirty from raw, raw milk is dirty from, you know, and, um, but there are some very simple rules with regard to cleaning the cow before and after milking, rapidly cooling and chilling the milk after milking proper cleaning of the milk supplies, which will completely solve any milk contamination issues of which commercial milk industry does not follow. They don't practice this. And so why is their milk not contaminated? We're gonna talk about that, okay? Um, now, let's just talk about this for a minute. Let's just take this opportunity right here and talk about this for a minute, because if you want to talk about milk contamination, let's really bring this raw milk as a dangerous food into perspective. For one, commercial milk, whether it's organic in the store or conventional in the store, is much more problematic, is much more likely to be infected with pathogenic bacteria than small scale grass-fed dairy operations that have one to few cows. Here's why. Let's talk about why. Most commercial dairy operations have literally hundreds to thousands of, of cattle. They need to be milked twice a day. Okay, there's a morning milking, there's a night milking, evening milking. Now, do you think that these hundreds of thousands of cows get washed with soap and vinegar water and are thoroughly cleaned with this water before milking and then are rinsed with warm water after milking to prevent pathogenic bacteria contamination? No, absolutely not. But this is how small scale dairy farmers, we hope, I know we do, speaking for myself, knowing other small scale dairy farmers, this is how they go about it. They, there's more attention, there's more focus brought to this area. We can sell, we can drink, we can consume a healthy dairy product if we just take some steps, you know, basically, you know, just take some simple measures to, to do this. So, you know, this is how we milk our cow and there's no freaking way large scale dairy farmers do this. They, they don't have time. There's no time for this. So what does this mean? 
what this means is that some fecal matter, some manure is apt to find its way into the milk. Okay, we're not really gonna clean them. Um, uh, some of them are even confined, so they're laying in their crap all day, right? And um, all, so what does this mean? It means that commercial milk is much more contaminated from a pathogenic bacterial standpoint than the milk from small-scale dairy operations. Now, all of the milk from these large-scale dairies, right? Let's say you have a dairy farmer. He's got 100 cows, 200 cows, 300 cows. All of the milk from these cows, um, they're you know hooked up to machines, and they, the milk travels to this large stainless steel vat. And that vat is filled two times per day with the, the milk from, from the cows, right? And it's emptied and delivered to milk distribu uh, distribution companies and processing plants one time a week. So what's important to know here and consider is that milk that has been cooled from, from okay, you have the milk go into these large vats after one milking. Oh, great. It's cooled to, let's say, 40, 40 degrees. 40 degrees Fahrenheit, that's a, that's a good temperature to have your milk cooled to. But then here comes the evening milk, and that's nice and warm. Milk out of a cow's udder is not <laughs> refrigerated. It's not cool. It's warm. It's a breeding ground for pathogens. That's why you have to rapidly cool it after you milk. But no, all of that milk now is now added to that same vat that has already been cooled. So problem number one when it comes to contamination um, is it's a it's just a sure beeline to contamination when you um, keep the temperature of the milk too high. This increases the likelihood of pathogenic bacteria to proliferate. You know, pathogens need a nice warm environment to multiply, and this is the perfect breeding ground. It is common knowledge. Uh, by all dairy farmers, that rapid chilling of the milk, you know, 42, 40 degrees Fahrenheit is one of the most effective ways to discourage um, any pathogenic bacteria in the milk. So commercial dairies may cool their milk to that temperature. However, that temperature is um, altered, is heated back up, you know, as soon as the next batch of, of fresh milk goes in. So... You, you know, you might be wondering, well, you know, how do they get away with this? What happens to the pathogens? Well, you know, when dairies check the pathogen level of the milk in their tanks, okay, oh, shoot, you know, it's creeping up a little bit. It's getting on the high end. They'll throw in acceptable. And I don't think this is allow, allowed technically in the organic industry, but commercial dairy industry, they'll throw in acceptable amounts of chemicals like Clorox bleach, to just clear that, just clear that problem up, just clear it up straight away, right? So they don't have to state this on any labels, on any websites. This is an, is an acceptable practice that doesn't have to be reported, right? But you better report a small-scale dairy selling raw milk who's not certified. Of course, there's a lot more I can say about this, but I want to get back to the woman on my mailing list who taught me something new in response to my newsletter. She wrote and asked me and, you know, she says, you know, I live in the state of South Carolina and the state's sale of raw milk is, is legal if and only if the cattle are allowed to, are, are fed 
GMO feed. If they're on a GMO diet, sure, you could sell that raw milk. So she asked, is it still acceptable and okay to drink raw milk from cows fed GMOs? Absolutely. I would say absolutely not. Don't drink that raw milk. Do not do it. Don't let them. Yeah, no, don't do that. I had no idea that a law like this existed. Am I surprised at this point in my life and in this point in history? I really shouldn't be, <laughs> you know, it's really a sly way for the federal government to push GMOs, you know, um, on small dairy farmers trying to make a legit product for themselves and their consumers and their families. What is actually wrong with people? You know, I can't even believe this is, this is uh, a thing. So my answer to this is, you know, a resounding no. If you live in South Carolina or another state or area of the world who has this law in place that the raw milk is from cows fed GMOs and that's the only way you can sell your raw milk, then just take a hard freaking pass right there. So now, what do we do from here? Well, this is what we're gonna talk, talk chat more about today. Um, because the question that can arise from this is, well, is pasteurized milk better than this option? And we're gonna explore that, that question a little bit more here today. Um, and of course, we're going to have a, a, a chat more towards the end of this podcast, this episode, as to if it's even a good idea to drink milk from another mammal. Like, should we really be drinking cow milk? Uh, the short answer is yes, but I'm going to talk about why um, to give you some more clarity and, and accuracy around this. This question, which really came from, um, um, really stemmed from the vegan world um, and their issues with animal food. So before I go there, I want to mention that our, our farm store is selling some pretty amazing body butter right now. Uh, we have single ingredient body butter, and we also have body butter containing two ingredients, um, lard and rose oil available for, for sale on our site. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not even lying. I'm not saying this. I don't care if any of you buy the body butter because I'm going to use it. I'm going to use the body butter because it's it's epic. It's amazing. I will never buy another body butter again. No joke because of how moisturizing and effective um, at nourishing the skin our handmade body butters are. And, you know, I really suspect that this is due to the rich vitamin D content in the lard that our body butters are based from. Um, so... If you don't want me to, to use all the body butter and if you want to get your hands on some, you can check out our um, our plain and rose infused body butters over at our farm store, um, ojoconejo.com, O-J-O-C-O-N-E-J-O.com. And actually, we have decided to offer free shipping um, on our farm store right now uh, to anywhere in the continental United States. So whether you're interested in, in checking out the body butter or other farm products and foods that we offer like lard, uh, you can head over to our site to check out what's going on uh, on our farm. And lastly, I am stoked. I'm excited to announce that starting this March 7th, I'm gonna be offering a level one classical homeopathy training. So this is a little bit different than how I've uh, taught the practitioner training program in the past. This is 
um, a three month training that teaches you how to practice homeopathic medicine to help you, to help your family and or your clients overcome root causes of acute and chronic disease. Um, classes will be held weekly for two hours. And once you complete the level one training, you can start practicing homeopathic medicine. And you can also continue with levels two through five that I will be offering after level one to further develop and hone your skills as a homeopathic practitioner. So registration for the level one training is open now and will remain open until the first 12 spots are filled. And you can learn more about the level one training at my site, heathershepherd.com. Go to the homeopathy tab and you'll see practitioner, the practitioner training page. Um, if you'd like to jump on a 20 minute call to discuss details with regard to the course, you can absolutely do so by filling out the contact form on my site and we can set up a time to uh, have a chat about level one. All right. I'm taking you guys on a deep dive into dairy. Honestly, when I was, um, putting this episode together, I had a lot of fun doing it. One, I've been researching dairy more, um, the past several months because, um, as when we got our, uh, Jersey cow Rose, um, who is still currently in milk right now, I took a new deep dive into the land of, of dairy. So this is a subject that I have now have some pretty decent firsthand experience with, and, um, I've been learning a lot and want to share that all with you. So let's continue with our dairy talk and I want to continue right where we left off and, you know, with regard to pasteurization and I want to deep dive into this. So, you know, when this, this person asked me, Hey, is pasteurized milk okay to drink? Is this a better alternative than GMO raw milk? You know, what would I advise in such, such, a, such a case? I'm going to give you a long answer here, but hopefully the point of it is so you can learn more about pasteurization and, you know, how to make the best choice for you. Let's start with why pasteurization became a thing in the first place. And let me just say, it wasn't because they were concerned about human uh, humans getting foodborne illnesses. Nope, nothing to do with it. They did this for the uh, processors, distributors, and, and so forth. They didn't do it for us. They did it for them. So let's start with the cold hard facts. The sale of commercial milk wouldn't be possible without pasteurization. Why? Because of exactly what I, I've mentioned so far here today, because much of the milk today, much of commercial milk is contaminated with pathogenic bacteria due to negligence, due to laziness. Um, so the sale of commercial milk would, would literally be impossible without pasteurization because everyone who consumed it would very likely experience a foodborne illness fun um and um not okay this isn't this is not how milk is designed to be processed produced this is not how cows are designed to be raised in this way no pasteurization what does it do well it destroys all the bacteria you got the good and the bad all of it nope 
goes away. It kills all the enzymes in milk and all, it alters the proteins in milk. It kills all the good, all the bad bacteria in milk. Okay? So they do that to cover their ass because they wouldn't be able to have a thousand head dairy farm and um, be in business if pasteurization of milk didn't happen. So now commercial dairy farmers, they're, they're subsidized. And so, right, of course, the government has their, their hand right in the middle of this pot, uh, again, trying to dictate the show. Um, <clears throat> now, homogenization of milk started in the 50s after pasteurization. Um, so this is why every single milk container in the store, most of them anyway, right, the labels are going to say pasteurized and homogenized milk. I'm going to talk about homogenization in a minute because drinking homogenized milk or dairy products should be strictly avoided. It's worse than drinking pasteurized milk. Um, and, and I'm going to explain why here in a few minutes. But, you know, pasteurization, it um, just like homogenization, it extends the shelf life of the milk. So um, this is another reason why they do it. You know, they, the thousand head dairy operation, they need to have a longer life expectancy on their milk. It's going to go bad before they get it out there, right? Pasteurize that shit, right? So that's what they do. Um, it, it's, this extends the, the shelf life of the milk. And um, they don't do this for your safety. Don't be fooled. Um, pasteurization extends the shelf life of milk up to two to three weeks, okay? Fresh raw milk, I mean, you got a, you got a small window here, five, seven days before it starts to go off, before you start to, you need to do something with it, you know? So extending the shelf life means more money in, in the pockets of the industry and the federal government. And it means dairy farms, uh, farmers can go about their jobs in a half-assed way and not pay any mind or attention to the treatment care feed of their cattle. Because a little Clorox bleach, a little pasteurization is going to cover their ass. So uh, pasteurization occurred before homogenization uh, because it created a problem. It created a big problem. And, um, you know... The milkman doesn't have to go out every day, you know, thank God, right? Because pasteurized milk was developed and now, you know, the shelf life is longer. So people don't need fresh milk on their steps every morning. Don't need that. We have pasteurized milk, you know, and uh, we don't we don't need that, that uh, availability anymore on a daily basis. So, you know, what happened though, as soon as the milk started to get pasteurized, Sure, it started to extend the shelf life, but another problem became clear pretty quickly, and that problem has to do with sludge. <clears throat> so the pasteurized milk that has, that's been sitting there for weeks started to develop a sludge on the bottom of the milk. So you have your milk jug, carton, and on the bottom this thick like layer of literally sludge-like 
uh, it's like a thick protein shake mixed with slushy snow started to develop on the, the bottom of the milk. And, you know, what is this? Well, the sludge was a combination of dead bacteria because pasteurization kills everything. So then there's the dead cells. And the sludge also consists of white blood cells. So why? When a cow gets mastitis from being over-milked or under-milked or improperly cleaned, mastitis can develop, which is an infection of the mammary tissue. And just like humans, when cows develop an infection, they produce more white blood cells to try and fight the infection. Now I'm sure many of you moms out there have experienced the absolute terror horror show of mastitis, you know, and you know, you could still feed your bre breastfeed your child, sure, but it was insanely painful and the child could still drink that milk without getting ill just like you can still drink milk from a cow who has mastitis, but it, it's going to be more stringy, more clotted. Um, and if it's commercial, it's going to contain antibiotics. Um, but it's going to contain more white blood cells, particularly uh, the leukocytes. So now personally, I wouldn't drink this. I'm not going to drink, <laughs> I'm not going to drink uh, milk from a, a cow who has mastitis. But the point I'm trying to make here is that if you do drink milk from a cow who has mastitis, it's not going to breed or harbor foodborne illness. And technically dairy farmers are supposed to throw away milk from cows with mastitis, but this rarely happens. But what happens is if the cow has mastitis, which is very common in commercial dairying due to the negligence and sloppy care of their herd, the white blood cells end up in the milk um, from the cows with mastitis and contribute to the sludge on the bottom. So you have a shit ton of white blood cells on the bottom mixed with dead bacteria, dead cells from the pasteurization of milk. So now what do we need to do, folks, is we need to homogenize the milk. So here we go. We're going to homogenize it. What a remarkable discovery. I mean, they think this is some genius breakthrough um, that actually did no good or benefit for humanity. In fact, it did just the opposite. So, you know, how did this fix the sludge problem while homogenization? It, what it does is it applies a great deal of pressure and agitation to the milk. And the goal here is to use these two forces to knock apart the butterfat molecules <clears throat> or globules to stop the cream from rising to the top, right? So this is what they told us anyway. We, you know, distribute that cream throughout. Everyone gets their fair share. You don't have to bother with the hassle of scooping the cream off the top. No more fighting over this. Homogenization was promoted as a cleaner way to drink your milk, as a way to stop fighting over the, the cream off the top between siblings. The reason they really started to do this was because of the sludge factor, the combination of dead bacteria and high white blood cell count due to mastitis on the bottom of the milk. So they homogenize the milk, <clears throat> which integrates everything, all the fat globules and sludge. And then the sludge problem was solved and then homogenization was born and now is in almost all dairy uh, milk sold in the stores. All of this information 
is uh, I am hoping that it's setting the stage for you to understand why I never, ever recommend drinking homogenized milk and, and what to prep you what to know before uh, drinking pasteurized milk. Now, when it comes to drinking pasteurized milk, here are some important things to consider. One is that raw milk from cows raised on pasture and raised on non-GMO hay and grass and root veggies in the winter is of course, absolutely the optimal choice, right? But let's say this, this isn't available in your area, then you know you absolutely want to do one thing and that is avoid ultra pasteurized dairy. Much of the milk supply today, a lot of it, read the label when you go into the store. If that's your only option in area to, to buy milk, read the label. Do not buy ultra pasteurized milk. This process heats the milk to 280 degrees Fahrenheit for two seconds. And just by doing this, they figured out, but if we do it for this way, in this way, it gives the milk a shelf life of at least a minimum of six months. Absolutely do not consume anything. Milk, juice, they ultra pasteurize a lot of things today, not just milk. Do not drink ultra pasteurized. If you're a healthcare practitioner, advise your clients to avoid ultra pasteurized anything. Everything is completely dead in that milk. And ultra-pasteurized dairy products have been shown to also increase scarring of the arteries. Leave that shit on the shelf. That's not regular. That's the type of stuff that should be, you know, not allowed. Okay, regular old pasteurization heats the milk up to 150 or 170. It depends on, you know, there's, there's two different methods. I'm not going to go into that. But heating to 150 better preserves the flavor of the milk. Um, but it, you know, it takes longer. And so most dairy farm, most, um, processing dairy processing plants are, are going to go with the 170. Now you, you're going to, it's unlikely to know which pasteurization method did they meet use? Did they go to 150? Did they go to 170? You don't know, but the important thing to know is that pasteurized milk kills all of the pathogens, good and bad, and all the enzymes in the milk. So, you know, this makes milk tasteless pasteurization takes the taste out of milk it kills the enzymes um and you know it can it can denature the proteins literally the food processing industry has, has trained us to like tasteless things you know the mac and cheese diet the kids who just eat one thing and they grow up on one thing but the the food processing industry knows this it's their target to train us to dull our taste buds and they have they have dulled our taste buds over time over many years and when they're questioned about this like you know hey you guys know what's up here you know you're you're messing with people's taste buds you know that you know you're, you're selling them tasteless things what do they have to say about that their response one of their responses anyways is um People have gotten used to the taste of plastic. I cannot make this shit up. Okay. So um, this right here, the way they process milk has, has uh, actually quite likely been the biggest contributing factor to our, our dairy allergies. 
Um, yes, you know, the jabs and the jab schedule is also contributes to this because of how it causes the immune system to be sensitive and reactive to anything that goes in the body. This is why allergies to foods and substance and certain substances have gone up over the years and not down because the jab schedule has gone up over the years and not down and it's gone significantly up over the years. And so has our, our allergy rates. And so it's not just dairy products that people are allergic to. A lot of people are sensitive and allergic to a lot of things, just like random things that you're like, hmm, right? And um, we have uh, the food processing industry to blame for this, as well as the increased rate of jabs that are, are required. Um, but, you know, what I want to say here is that um, I want to say something else about pasteurization when you're making your choice. So um, I wouldn't drink pasteurized milk. I would more so, if you cannot get real raw milk, get cultured dairy, you know, focus on cultured dairy, yogurt, kefir, cottage cheese, no additives. There's like one ingredient, right? It's like whole milk, live active cultures, you know, like that's it. Don't get, what it's, uh, oh, um, who bought, somebody bought goat yogurt the other day. Oh, we, we had Christmas. Somebody came, they brought goat yogurt. And um, I looked at the back of the thing, tapioca starch. No, don't eat that. That should not be in your yogurt. They add it to goat milk yogurt because there's not a lot of fat in goat milk. And so they need to thicken it up. And so they put freaking tapioca starch in it. Tapioca starch should be a an abomination. They put it in everything and people think it's okay because it's gluten-free and it's like a natural food. No, they process the heck out of it. Guar gum's another one. If the, you have guar gum in your cream cheese, no, leave it. Anyway, let's, let's just say that. So pasteurization, when it comes to milk, no, don't eat it. If you have to choose pasteurized over homogenized, choose pasteurized. Do not drink milk that has been homogenized, no. And then, you know, I would more so focus on cultured dairy, you know, hard cheeses, yogurts, um, kefir, et cetera, right? Focus on those if you don't have real milk available where you are. Okay. <clears throat> um, so let's see. You know, let's just, let's just, with the pasteurization, homogenization thing, I want to just say uh, one more thing here. And that is, I've said this, but I really want you to understand that these practices are not in place to protect the consumer. They're in place so the industry can produce an acceptable product using milk that would otherwise only be fit to feed pigs or chickens um, and would be unacceptable for human consumption. So honestly, our pigs and chickens, I get, we have extra milk. I give it to them. It's an amazing source of protein for them. The raw milk, they, they crush it. They crush it every time. Um, okay. So let's talk about 
should we even be consuming dairy products anyway? Isn't it meant for baby cows, right? Should we only stick to the milk from our, our breed, humans, humans, cows, cows, goats, goats, et cetera, right? Now, you know, this, this uh, suggestion, this theory stemmed from the vegan world uh need i say more <laughs> but this theory stemmed from the, the the vegan world and then it reached many people uh and including myself when it first came out i was like hmm that's an interesting question it's a mind fuck a little bit right but um <clears throat> uh, so i I was considering this concept for quite some time um, until I started to think about it a little bit more and, and do some research around this and realize that cows um, have been providing their milk for their calves as well as for humans dating thousands of years back into prehistory. You know, there's a record of reindeer being milked by humans over 11,000 years ago, 30,000 years ago, other regions were milking antelopes and sheep and camels and goats and, and cattle have been milked ever since humans have had accessibility to these animals. And it's documented that humans have been raising and milking cattle for over 10,000 years, despite their location. Location actually doesn't change much. What with regard to the cow and, and uh, other than because every continent, there's cows on every continent, people drinking milk and using milk products on every continent. And really the biggest factor here around how the products are consumed is preservation. And um, there are cows, um, like for example, let's take cows living in Africa and parts of India well, this is where there's a lot of ghee because ghee prevents the milk from spoiling, has a longer shelf life than butter. Um, and, you know, it's very hot in these areas. So the butter is going to go off pretty quickly. So what's a, a, a foolproof way to avoid that? Turn it into ghee, right? So, you know, when I come down to really examining this question, mammals, milk, what's the deal here? Right. For one, we have to look at what's the nutritional state of society. It's bad. <laughs> it's, it's, it's poor. If we were to get a grade on it in school, it would be an F. <laughs> so um, most people don't consume raw dairy products or healthy dairy. Pro I'm sorry. Is it Gogurt? is not that does not count as a dairy product um okay like something in a tube with shit added to it that's you know that is an upsell for the industry it is a downsell for your health by a long shot so when we're you know for one we have to look at what is the nutritional state of society it's bad most people aren't consuming wholesome dairy products on a daily basis. Most people have mineral and nutrient deficiencies that which dairy, uh, healthy dairy products can fill the gaps with there. And so um, we also have to consider 
bioavailability of nutrients. So <clears throat> I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Let's start with some of the main nutritional properties of dairy, which is what really makes this food for those who are not lactose intolerant and for those who aren't allergic or have a, a, a sensitivity to dairy. It's a no-brainer for adding into the diet. In fact, the absence of dairy products is likely going to create and fuel several nutritional deficiencies, which I suspect is absolutely one. There's many, but it's one of the issues with our modern food supply today. We're eating the wrong kind of dairy um, for, for hundreds of thousands of years. We've been consuming the real deal and our bone structure was better. Our dental health was better. Our facial structure was healthier. Um, we were able to lift heavier things. The physique and anatomy was solid. Sunlight, dairy products are, are, you know, some of the main, two of the main reasons why I think this was really, um, we don't even have that today, right? So um, now I want to also note that, you know, while grass-fed dairy, particularly from a2 casein cows is one of the most nutritious foods on the planet, okay? However, it should never be a substitute, or I should say very, very rarely be a substitute for mother's milk, particularly in the first year of breastfeeding. Reason being, it's not because dairy is bad. It's not because raw milk is bad or the proteins or the structure of that milk is bad. In fact, raw milk you want to drink structured water? You better drink some raw milk, son. That's going to do it. That's like everybody's trying to structure what they're drinking. Raw milk is structured water intact. Okay? So, but, but, okay, let's talk about why shouldn't you give your newborn child raw milk from a cow or a or goat or sheep, whatever? There, there um, are immune-boosting substances gut flora supportive bacteria in mother's milk and a perfect balance of fat to protein ratio in mother's milk that the newborn needs. Now, same thing. When your cow calves, it has their his calf, her calf, sorry. Okay. So when, when the calf is born, the calf needs the cow's milk because of the colostrum. Cows who are um, not allowed to feed off of their mothers die very quickly. The, 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 um, uh, the death rate of, of calves who are not allowed to feed from their mothers, they die very quickly. They don't have enough colostrum. They don't have the nutrients to thrive, to develop, to boost their immune system. And, and it, the death rate is very high. The mortality rate is very high in when this occurs. So um, we need to put the baby with mom in mom with mom's breast milk for this same reason. Okay. Let alone the bonding that occurs between mom and baby, the, the secure attachment that starts to develop during this time. Um, you know, only in dire cases should cow's milk be used in place of mother's milk during breastfeeding. Extreme cases. And even before going this route, I would look into a breast milk bank if breastfeeding is impossible. But I mean, 
honestly, is a whole other bag of worms because this presents multiple issues that I'm only going to mention one of today, which is, well, I'll mention a couple, uh, vax history. Oh, you're not giving milk, your milk. If you just got vaxxed or recently, or what's your history, and then you get to breastfeed my child, you, you, you know, they're not going to tell you this at the, at the milk bank. You're just going to go, you're going to pick up the milk. Oh, wonderful. Might not be wonderful. When was the last time the mother took antibiotics? What's their drug and alcohol use or history? Is the mom smoking cannabis? Like that's an acceptable thing to smoke cannabis and breastfeed your baby. People are cuckoo. Okay. So um, anyway, that's a whole other can of worms. Get a friend who's breastfeeding and you know, they're doing the, they're, they're on point with what you're doing. And if, if push comes to shove, you know, that's a whole other topic. But when it comes to, should I include dairy into my diet? Again, without any allergy sensitivities, lactose intolerance, et cetera, we have to consider this simple question. One is, and we should ask this question about, you know, any food we're eating, really. Are the nutrients in this food that I'm eating bioavailable? Meaning, can my gut, can my cells, can my body utilize, absorb, assimilate the nutrients in this food that I'm going to be eating? Well, I mean, I guess you have to start with how do you know if they are or not? How do you know? Animal foods and fats and proteins are among the most bioavailable food sources on the planet. That's one way to know. So, you know, am I going to get the most bang for my buck nutritionally from eating this food? Is it going to meet my body's needs? Pasteurized and homogenized dairy? No, not so much raw and or cultured dairy that hasn't been heated to extreme temperatures. For example, yogurt making. You can make raw milk yogurt if you keep the temperature, if you, you have to heat milk to make yogurt. So when I do this, I heat the milk to 110, 115. This preserves the enzymes, the nutrients, the proteins in that milk, makes it an exceptional product. So, you know, we have to understand the methods here. And we also have to understand that the diet of every successful human group on this planet has included generous amounts of bioavailable calcium in the diet. You know, of course, this varies depending on the region. You know, for example, it can be exceptionally cold to keep cows in Alaska unless there's really good barns in place, which I'm sure some people have today. But, you know, throughout history before modern foods, the diets of Eskimos, they, they didn't drink milk. That, no, that wasn't like, they didn't, they weren't big milk drinkers. They weren't big dairy people, right? They got their bones from other uh, sources, small fish, um, the, the stomachs of, of animals who ate fish, right? Um, they got it from, this sounds disgusting, probably to modern people, but they pickled birds and ate them whole. But the point here is <laughs> we need more bioavailable sources of calcium. And we don't have that today in our modern diet. We don't have it. And we have major nutritional deficiencies and mineral deficiencies as a result. Where milking mammals existed, dairy was the primary source of calcium. 
So it's important to understand that you cannot simply eat foods that are rich in calcium and expect your gut to absorb and assimilate that calcium. For example, plant sources of calcium, such as broccoli, it, you Google calcium in broccoli, it's strong. It'll come up strong, right? Right? But they're gonna be far less bioavailable than say whole milk yogurt from a grass-fed cow. Not even, a, there's no comparison the bioavailability of the protein, of the calcium, of the magnesium, the other nutrients in that yogurt compared to broccoli. So even though the calcium levels of some plant foods and some animal foods may look similar on paper, oh, this broccoli has as much calcium as this cup of yogurt, they are fooling you. That's a trick. That's not right. They are nowhere near similar once it enters your body because plant sources of minerals are not nowhere near as bioavailable as animal sources. Also, in order for the body to actually absorb and utilize calcium, there has to be animal fat present. Okay, animal calcium piggybacks on animal fat and it transports it as to where it's supposed to go. Hopefully, mostly in the in the bones, right? So, um, so animal fat is necessary for the uptake, the absorption, assimilation, the utilization of calcium. This is why vegans and vegetarians have horrific bone health, especially long-term vegans and vegetarians. We're not, there, there's no bus to shuttle the calcium. Now, I always tell people I was killing myself during my vegetarian days and never felt worse. I literally never felt worse. And this is even when I was young, teenage years, early 20s, vegetarian, never, that was where you're supposed to feel vibrant, vital. Like shit, I feel better now, I'm almost 41. And um, then I did when I was in my, tw my early 20s. My body was literally starving for fats, proteins, nutrients, and it wasn't getting this need met. Let's talk about the fat and dairy products because um, it's important to, from a nutritional standpoint, butter fat, butter fat. If anybody tells you to avoid butter, their advice is bad. <laughs> Their advice is no good. <laughs> Go elsewhere. Take that advice elsewhere. Butter fat is your freaking ally. And it's present in raw milk, of course, whole milk, yogurt, cream, and other dairy products where the fat hasn't been removed. Skim milk, for example, no butter fat. And therefore makes the food a dangerous food in the sense that there's no fat there to absorb all the calcium and the protein in the skim milk. Now, there are several different types of fats in full fat dairy. You can get omega-3s if the animal was raised on grass. Uh, but another fat that you're going to get that this fat is very deficient in the modern diet. This is an issue. And this fat is CLA, conjugated linoleic acid. It's one of my favorite fatty acids. It is um, in butter fat. Cream contains this. Um, it's one of the most protective 
molecules against cancer and heart disease. And it's primarily found in the fat of ruminants from both their meat and if you eat any type of dairy from these animals. It has to be grass-fed, particularly grass-fed. Now, um, there's a ton of other uh, health benefits to dairy. And, you know, I'll list a few of them here. If you're like, I'm still not convinced about this food. All right, we have antimicrobial properties, beneficial bacteria, live active enzymes, bioavailable sources of protein, fats, minerals like calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, essential amino acids, enzymes that protect against stress, fat-soluble vitamins, and undamaged proteins as long as the milk wasn't heated to high temperatures. Now, um, I, I want to say something here because um, when it comes to choosing, you know, should raw milk only be fed to their, you know, the same mammal line, right? We need the nutrients in this food. Our bones need it. Our nerves need it. Our hormones need it. Our uterus needs it. Our eyes need it. Our brains need it. Our gut microbiomes need it. Back to our bones need it. Um, next week, I'm going to talk all about how to support bone health when, with sunlight and diet. But I, I want to mention here something that's really important. I can't wait till next week to tell you it's too important. So we have a serious bone epidemic going on. People in their 20s should not have osteopenia. Um, we should not have children that look like flagpoles, you know, when they're 16 years old, 17 years old. So why do we have this though? Because we have this, this has to do with a lack of bioavailable nutrients in the diet, such as calcium, vitamin D, magnesium, and um, all of which are found in, in dairy products. So this is one reason we have a bone health issue. We have a bone health issue because of our excessive use and exposure to non-native EMFs, Wi-Fi, cell phones. You're exposed to this stuff and it literally causes calcium to leak out of your cells, causing something called calcium efflux. This right there alone is going to um, cause serious bone health issues. If you work in this environment, first quit your job, but second, if you can't quit immediately, you better be consuming the shit ton out of dairy products to help try and save your, your bone health while you're trying to figure out a new situation. Just ethernet your line, honestly. And also from a lack of sunlight exposure. All of these three things into one bundle, it's like this the perfect storm for bone health issues. So you know, let's not forget the fact that most people don't move enough and their bones and muscles atrophy and weaken, weaken from indoor lifestyles, um, right? And here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? We have been trained to have this mindset. Simple, easy button, whatever shit they're telling us, right? It's like, don't do any work. This like, you know, like farm work is peasantry work or it's slave work or whatever phrases they're saying, right? It's like, listen, we have forgotten how to work hard. Where's the grit in our kids today? There's no grit. There's no grit. 
For the most part, kids are lacking grit. We need to get our kids some grit. They need some grit. And, you know, um, this comes from, you have to do something. You have to get out in front of a screen and actually go out and do something and move your body and pick things up and lift things, right? Gotta do this. And we don't do this anymore. So our bones are suffering. And, you know, last thing about bones. Most people are unaware that raw milk is a significant source of vitamin C and B vitamins, especially B6 and riboflavin. Now, these are essential, essential nutrients that also play a huge role when it comes to bone health. But the nutritional qualities are, are destroyed when high heat is applied, like pasteurization. If you're sensitive to dairy, <clears throat> what would I recommend? Okay, try only eating, consuming A, A2 dairy. Start there. Start with cultured dairy and or raw milk from grass-fed cows. People with cow dairy sensitivities tend to do much better with these uh, implementations. Now, if it's still a no-go after trying these options, then I would explore sheep milk and lastly, goat milk. Or if you live somewhere else where there's another animal producing milk, okay. So when it comes to deciding if this food is a good idea to have in the diet, well, you know, hopefully this podcast helped to shine some light on the subject so you can make a more balanced, more informed decision around your dairy intake. And what I didn't mention, I don't think around homogenized milk, why I want you to avoid it is because the pressure and agitation that occurs when you homogenize milk, it makes the fat molecules go rancid, it oxidizes them. So then you are drinking rancid fats. And we know that that's a beeline to chronic disease, to inflammation, et cetera. So if you have to choose pasteurized or pasteurized homogenized, no, get non-homogenized milk, you know, <clears throat> if that's the right, never drink homogenized milk is what I'm saying. I'm going to leave you with this thought. <clears throat> Small family farms, they're disappearing at an incredibly high rate. You know, the very small town of 400 people that my wife and I live in, it used to be teeming with farmers. Everybody was a farmer. It wasn't even a question. Well, what, is, what does he do? What do they do? What does she do? Oh, they raise this and that, they do, you know, et cetera. When the old schoolers come to visit our farm, the, the, the people who have been here for years, they oh yeah, well, I used to raise and, and we all used to help each other butcher each other's animals back in the day. And I remember coming to your farm when Mr. Tucker owned it and we processed his pigs. No, no one's doing, very, I, sh I shouldn't say no, very few people are doing this anymore. And, and the old schoolers, they come like, no one's doing this anymore. We haven't had animals in this town for blah, blah, blah years. So smaller family farms are disappearing at a rate of around over 1,000 per month. And if we want more accessibility to real milk and real food, we need to stop the momentum that, that this train is going along at. Of course, I'm not telling you to become a farmer. Farming isn't for everyone. But if you have any desire in your bones to farm, to even raise a few chickens, please consider this because 
it will have much more benefit on, on so many levels. You, your health, your family, your kids, health of this planet, um, local foods, and you know, it's going to support the local food system, but make it more accessible. Give people more accessibility to raw milk. Give more people more accessibility to real food. I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. To learn more about my approach to health, to see all of my creations in the kitchen and all of my Sunlight RX tips, you can follow me on the gram at sunlight underscore RX and subscribe to this podcast to access weekly episodes.